Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're obsessed with creating the family life we desire, and we call it the Family Operating System. Join us each week to learn how to improve communication, be in control of your future, and love life. Welcome to the Family OS Podcast. My name is Kate, and I'm here with Danielle Bettman. Did I say that right? Yes. I got it. All right. Uh, Danielle is the owner and parenting coach of Wholeheartedly. She helps families with strong-willed toddlers. Oh, so true. I have one of my own, so I'm going to love this episode. Um, But also that good cop-bad cop dynamic and help those families find sanity and solutions. You do one-on-one coaching. You help parents get on the same page, which is very, very important because a lot of uh, we talk about that too, with how husbands and wives, they, they come from different backgrounds. So they obviously mm-hmm. will parent differently. So how to get on the same page. So that's super important. And we'll dive into that a little bit, um, but rewire the parenting mindset and write their family business plan. Uh, Danielle's group program, Wholeheartedly Calm, equips moms to parent strong-willed children with a whole lot more patience. And man, do moms need that at times. (laughs) I know I do. Um, She's also the host of the Failing Motherhood podcast, working to normalize the struggle and share vulnerable stories of feeling like a failure, reminding you that you are the mom your kids need, which is so true. We do need that reminder. So Danielle, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. All right. So, so tell me a little bit about just how you got started with all of this. And, you know, I'm so fascinated with now using this podcast and being able to talk to so many different people who are in this field, um, you know, how they get started. Cause sometimes it's almost by accident. So Mm -hmm. share, share with the audience, just how you've gotten to this place and, and a little bit about your story. Sure. I'd love to. So back when you're like 18 and you think that you're supposed to know what you're going to be when you grow up, all I knew is that I liked working with kids. So I went to college for teaching and got you know certified in elementary education as well as uh, early childhood and started working at a school with a Head Start program for three to five-year-olds. And after the first year, I realized that these kids had already you know, missed out on a lot in the first couple of years. So I wanted to go back and start with day one uh, with some babies and stay with them until they graduated to preschool. And after I did that, I what I or through doing that, I realized that what happens at home is what's really wiring these kids. And what happens at school is great, but the parents are the ones doing the hardest job in the world and they're the most influential factor. And they don't have an orientation period or a support system or man like manual to speak of. And so I wanted to be able to equip them to better understand their kids and what they're going through. So I started home visiting with a program uh, through Save the Children called Early Steps to School Success. And I loved that because I got to work mostly one-on-one with the parents to be able to help them go through some milestone um, you know, screenings and give them more books to read. And they asked such great questions and welcomed me into their home. And I absolutely loved it. And then I became a parent myself. And I realized, how did they ever listen to a word I had to say? <laughs> because, you know, the parent-child relationship and like doing all of this 24-7 is just so next level. You have to figure it out as you go. And it just feels like chaos. And so um, after leading a mom's group for a couple years after I had my daughters back-to-back, which I don't professionally recommend, they're only four, 15 months apart, 
Um, there's awesome. pros and cons, you know, to every age difference. But uh, my girls are now seven and eight. So two and a half years ago, I had that midlife crisis of what do I want to be when I grow up again. And I just really wanted to work with families one-on-one. And my second daughter is my strong-willed one. She has taught me everything I know about what works when rewards, punishments, threats, bribes do not, and uh, how to really create a healthy parent-child relationship. And then, you know, my husband and I have been through a lot in our marriage. Um, There is a point, you know, kind of a brink that we came back to. And so being able to help other families get on the same page with a lot of these issues was a passion of mine as well. So Mm -hmm. I created basically a five S framework of how I work with families now that encompasses a lot of the um, strong-willed kid behaviors and how to improve their what's going on day to day so that you're preventing tantrums and eliminating a lot of those power struggles. But then a big piece of parenting is you and your patience and your well-being and being able to have more sanity to do the strategies that you're learning. And then being able to get on the same page, I created a process called writing a family business plan, which is essentially just taking some of the intentionality you bring to work home And thinking about your end goals and your core values and having a mission statement that really embodies who your family is and what you're aspiring to do. And then um, having secure relationships is a big part of it. And then having a support and accountability that really just makes your best intentions your reality by carving out that time to get it done. So that's how I work with families now, one-on-one virtually, anywhere. Um, My expertise is kids age one to seven, um, because that's what I'm certified to teach in. Um, and my oldest is eight, so I can't speak to anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, that's great. We, we've got a lot of toddlers and, and just those, those young kids, school-aged kids, um, where, you know, families are listening and they're, they're like, okay, I need some help. Um, so those, Mm -hmm. that, that five S framework is sanity solution, same page, secure relationships and support. So for, for yes. kind of for the note takers out there um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, when I, what I've learned in just the journey that my husband and I have been on, um, in how we've been helping couples and families, like having sort of those bullet points, um, of, okay, here, you know, here's three things or, you know, five things, whatever it is, but just sort of just, just like that handful of, if I focus on these things one at a time through, or one feeds off of the next, it becomes easier and more manageable. So I I Mm -hmm. like having these kinds of things like a five S framework where, you know, we have curb and it's how I help moms keep, keep the, the calm and, and curb the calm. Um, the chaos really is what it's called, curb the chaos um, for those mm-hmm. moms who are working and dealing with home life and having that, you know, that balance and, and creating those boundaries. So it's, it's just helpful for people to find um, ways to say, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to work on first. So keeping right. sanity for sure is, is a big thing. Um, and let's talk about strong-willed children. Cause I have one actually, I mean, I guess my stepdaughter is somewhat strong-willed. I certainly see it in my, my three and a half year old. Um, so my first, it's kind of like a two part question. Cause obviously we want to know, like, how do we do this? Right. You're talking mm-hmm. about how like rewards and put like all this stuff doesn't work. So we'll get into yeah. that. My first question though, around it is, um, what do you think causes strong willed demeanor? Like that characteristic in the first place? Like, is there some science behind it? Is it like, you know, you're, uh, you're getting a child just like what you were when you were a child and what you <laughs> I remember growing up, my mom was always like, oh, I wish 10 of you 
So they're all 10 at the same time. And, you know, because I was driving her nuts at 10. Um, <laughs> so, so some science behind it, some genetics or what, what kind of causes this disposition that you're, that's a, that's a great question. Because at first I thought it was very sibling order based where it's a lot of the second child syndrome comes okay. out and uh, that has been proven wrong because uh, the, it's almost 50-50, whether it's a firstborn or a secondborn has this type of personality. And okay. so I do think that it's a you know some sort of makeup of the parents' genes, obviously. And there's usually one parent that's a little more stubborn and strong-willed themselves. So they're passing that on somehow. And that's where later. you can really butt heads is because like you're seeing things your way and they're seeing things their way. And it just feels like a big impasse in, yeah. in that, you know, passion side of things. Right. But I, I really think that the, the, there isn't too much science that says like of how to even avoid you know, having a child with this personality, I really feel like it just comes down to how the child is seeing the world. And when they are very internally driven and motivated, they uh, have more of a, a stronger sense of intuition and mm -hmm. they feel like they're a lot more in tune with their own needs. They feel things on a higher Richter scale of they're very more sensitive to, you know, this is a really big deal to me. This affects me at a level eight of sadness and a level eight of anger rather than, you know, one or a two more even, even keel kiddos. Um, but I think it's actually a huge advantage for them because they are so much less influenced by peer pressure or by, um, you know, just submitting to authority for some authority sake. And um, they're going to have a lot better time dealing with things over time because they've had so much practice. Um, in the early years of reconciling through some of these big emotions and practicing all the coping skills. And um, I I really look up to these kids in a lot of ways because later on, a lot of the kids that are super, super compliant, then all of a sudden realize, oh, I don't actually know who I am or why I'm doing these things. And, you know, you, you have to figure it out at some point. And these kids just kind of come out of the womb with the God. They got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, for sure. I feel like my, my daughter is, um, like she's a firecracker and the, the things that, um, that she says and that she, she knows, I mean, I, I feel like she already knows her intuition without her, mm -hmm. you know, without her realizing what that is. Right. Cause she's three. Um, because there have been certain times where she's, she's done something where I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, don't worry about it or whatever. I'm like, and then, you know, I cave, right. I'm, I'm the mom and I cave and I'm actually glad that I caved in that sense because she's gone off to do something that has actually worked for the, for the better. Like, and then, mm -hmm. and when I address it to her, I'm like, Hey, thanks for doing that. She looks at me. She's like, mm -hmm. like, I know. Like, I knew. Yeah. I knew. I knew. <laughs> you did. And I knew. And I'm like, God, you're three. Like, what? It's <laughs> unbelievable. Like she, she amazes, she amazes me and they really do teach you so much. Yes. Um, but it's very threatening right off the bat as a parent, when you yeah. are coming into this with the expectation that you're supposed to be the one telling them what to do and controlling their behavior and, you know, basically passing off all of the knowledge. And then you quickly realize, Oh no, that's not how this goes. Right. So let's <laughs> talk about then like the rewards and the punishments and the consequences yep. like they're, I mean, I, I get, I get fired up with my daughter and she laughs at me 
or mm-hmm. I mean, not every time, but like, but she'll, she'll laugh or I'll say, you know, no to this. She wants to throw a tantrum. We're, we're now teaching her like you, you throw a tantrum because I've said no, like then the, like it stays, the answer is no, like there. And I'll even teach her like mommy saying no for a reason. This is why, you know, like she's, cause she's on it. Like, I can't just be like, because I said so like that right. was fine with her. Right. So, but she, she doesn't always like, she's like fine with the consequence. And I'm like, well, that didn't work very well. So how do we, yep. how do we, <laughs> how do we, how do we work for them to, to be compliant in the, in the, in the measure that we need them, like brushing our teeth and getting PJs on is necessary every night yes. and you're not listening. So what's the consequence? How do we create something that would work for them to comply with something like that? Yeah. I mean, that is the ultimate question that, you know, parents spend <laughs> right. years figuring out what doesn't work <laughs> and driving right. themselves insane. And it, it really is because they are so internally motivated, which we do ultimately want, like that's one of our end main goals is to work ourselves out of a job where kids are doing the right thing for the right reason, not just because they won't get caught, not just because there isn't, you know, somebody watching and there's going to be a consequence afterwards. And so it's harder almost for the kids that are more worried about what other people think or if they are going to get caught or what the consequence is, then they're learning less of the lesson because Mm -hmm. it's less about like, well, I just do this because this is who I am, or this is the right way to treat people or that kind of thing. So for strong-willed kids, they're going to learn the lesson because that's the only piece of it they're taking away. They don't really care if there's going to be something negative that happens that occurs based on what they're doing, or if there's even something positive to work for, because they, they're only worried about essentially being understood and having their dignity intact. And they would rather be like stick to their guns of how they see whatever situation it is and feel heard and that got their message across. And that's more motivating to them than anything else. So therefore they're like, you could spend so many hours thinking about what's a good natural consequence or logical consequence or setting this up to be a sticker reward chart. That's going to get them to do the thing. And none of that is really going to register. Right. So instead you have to shift the goal from being, you know, a uh, first time obedience to how can I get them to cooperate? How can I gain their cooperation and build positive momentum through the bedtime routine without it constantly feeling like a tug of war or a power struggle to you know get anything across? Because right. yes, the boundary still stands. They absolutely need to brush their teeth. They you need to get out of the house. They need to wear shoes. All these things. Right. Um, but how do you how like but both things are true? They can have a hard time with it, or they can you know have not want to do it and it still needs to get done. So how do we, how do we bridge that gap? It's the positive discipline, which is what I teach really talks about being kind and firm at the same time. So that is being able to validate and empathize with where they're coming from and meeting them where they're at while also saying, and this limit is in place or this boundary, like here's the line, or I can't let you, whatever it is. And then either finding some choices of how they can move forward that are both win-wins and then just focusing on, we're not going to talk about whether you're going to do this or why you're going to do this. We're just going to focus on which way would you rather do this? Because they really do want to feel like they're still empowered and being able to have a lot of uh, voice in the matter. So just focusing on the two options between do it this way or do it that way 
do it by yourself or do it with help, do it with a timer or do it, you know, now or later. Choices are huge for strong-willed kids because they would, they're either fixating on, am I going to do it or am I not? Or you implant a different choice in their head of, do I do it this way or do I do it this way? So that's the, the big piece of it. Yeah. So what do you do? Because I feel like this is something I hear often and certainly things times that we're we're dealing with. What do you do when, okay, it's time to brush your teeth and put on PJs and I'm making progress. I've, this is now the latest thing. My daughter, we get her changed to go put her PJs on. And instead she decides to run the second floor naked and she just wants to run back and floor forth. So, I mean, I know chasing her isn't, the option because mm-hmm. then it's a game and she wants to play the game. But how, how do I, how do I rein that in? How do I help that situation to, to, to give like a specific situation? Yeah. I love the specific situations because then we can really make it practical. (laughs) And at that point, you have to basically step back and add two more steps before the choice. Because if you jump to the choice too quickly and they're not on board, they haven't, you haven't bought in any engagement on their side and they feel like essentially all behavior is communication. So they're using their behavior to communicate some type of message or to get some type of need met. Like if they're just like, I want to, you know, get your attention right now, then they're doing what works to do that. So if you don't acknowledge that message that they're sending or basically get to their level so that you can bring them along with you, then the choice is they're not going to engage with it. It's basically like bait for a fish that doesn't smell good. Like they won't make a choice. And so a lot of parents will get stuck and they're like, I give them a choice, but they don't make a choice. Okay. So we have to back it up and we back it up to the first step being meet them there and basically narrate. I see that you are whatever it is, or I'm noticing, or it looks like, or I'm hearing or something that's kind of like getting into their world enough that I'm just announcing. I'm not adding any moral obligation. I'm not bringing emotions into this. It's just, this is what I see going on. And then they're going to register and they're going to say, yep, that's exactly what's going on. Okay. So then they're not um, having any reason to be defensive. They're not arguing back. It's just like, you're essentially saying things that they agree with. And that's kind of the second piece of it is some type of you statement where it's you, whatever it is that you think that basically they're either thinking or feeling or you're just trying to label and give them the words that they maybe don't have. So you're trying to say, oh, wow, I see you running around back and forth. You must be having fun with that. You you really don't want to get ready for bed right now. You know, you're saying something that, again, is just trying to name what you see and get them to a place where they're not arguing. You're saying things that they would agree with. Right. And that's actually from um, a book written by a Navy SEAL about negotiating with terrorists. It's called Never Split the Difference. And he talks about like the first step of negotiating with terrorists is saying enough that they basically say exactly. So that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to basically narrate enough so that they are like, exactly. And then you can move forward into, and we need to get ready for bed or, and whatever it is that we need to do. And then you give the two options of how to move forward. And because they, they're, they've been narrated, they're, they're understood, they're being seen for what exactly what they were doing. They're usually going to comply um, much more easily than at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, and I also find giving warnings help like, Hey, we're going to, right. We're going to get ready Mm -hmm. for bed in five minutes or, you know, whatever that, or when this show is over or something, you know, that you, you can give a time. 
Yes. You know, uh, there's a lot of like preventative things that you can do, like setting up the little picture schedule for the bedtime routine so that you just tell them, go check what's on your, you know, chart rather than always having to remind them every time or giving that heads up with a visual timer, you know, so it's like you set your timer when it goes off, tell me, you know, so they're in charge because. If it's on their terms, there's no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier. Although the timer is starting to bite us in the butt a little bit because um, cause now, cause I'm like, hey, we're going to get ready. And, you know, after the show, set a timer. Now everything set a timer. And I'm like, okay, I set a timer. No, no, no. And then the timer goes up. No, set a timer. And it's like, oh, I set the timer. The timer went off. Now it's time to go. And so now we're like back in this thing where she doesn't even want to acknowledge the timer. And I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. like... <laughs> Timer went off, little girl. It's time yes. to go. Um, but that's also where, you know, I, I think it's a good reminder for parents is that's when you don't cave. Mm. It's so easy to cave and be like, oh, okay, five more minutes. Or, you know, because as soon as we as soon as they know they can get away with whatever it is, or there's some kind of lenience one time, then there is always hope that it's going to happen again. And then that's yes. where the battle comes in. And I'm like, I really am, have learned that the hard way. And, and you know, just various um, mentors and people in counseling that we have continue to remind Tanner and me, do not cave. Like if you've said no, stick to it. You know, if, if, if you said five minutes, like it's five minutes, like drop mm-hmm. what you're doing and do what you said you're going to do because they'll, oh, they'll, they'll run you over <laughs> if they know. Yeah. A little yeah. Positive. It's so true. Cause am- ambiguity is the em- ambiguity is the enemy. So yeah. if they feel like anything is basically arbitrary or mm-hmm. rule or the expectation isn't clear, or if it's sometimes yes and sometimes no, that is reinforcing because they, they want to know where the line is and right. they're going to keep pushing it. So yes, they have every right to push back and you have every right to stay, stay grounded. Stay grounded. Yeah. And kids like they're, this is the other thing that I've kind of, I've learned more and more and certainly through parenting, um, but also the, the various people I've interviewed or mentors and uh, counselors, um, like their number one goal is to get their needs met. Right. So right. As a child, like from a baby to, to, to this development, like their number one goal is for their needs to be met. And if they want something that you don't want them to have or do or whatever it is, like they're going to do everything they can to get what they want because they want their need to be met. And you as the parent, you know, are the one that needs to put the boundary in place, the line in place, you know, for, um, for the various reasons that they can, they can grow and, and foster into these well-adjusted, emotionally tempered, you know, temp, um, children. So, um, yeah. So yeah. And to add on to that for yeah. sure. Um, if, you know, if that's true, that premise is true, then yes, hold the line and then also ask yourself, like, why are they getting so angry? What is going on here? Where is this behavior coming from? What need are they trying to meet right now? And then either can I set them up for success better and basically eliminate the need for this behavior by having more quality time earlier in the day or getting them to sleep earlier or whatever the problem is, right? Like problem solve that side of it. And because that you have control over or just shift to some type of redirection or replacement or substitute behavior that's like, oh, you really want to be curious with crayons? Can't do it on the wall, but here's the piece of paper. You know, like you just find a way that it's going to be the win-win for both of you and helping them understand those boundary lines. 
Because, yeah, they are just acting out of pretty innocent intentions. And a lot of times we take it too personally or we overgeneralize or we begin to cast into the future. They're going to go in jail someday. It's like, nope, this is just a toddler being a toddler. (laughs) Right, right. And it creates safety for them when they know that this is what it is every single time. Mom and dad say this every single time. That creates safety for them. And that helps them also, you know, grow into well-adjusted um, you know, young adults and adults um, for for the future. So yeah, you really want to create that that safety for them. Um, let's let's switch it a little bit to like the parents now. Mm-hmm. Something you had written on your website, um, just in things that you you address, was addressing the temper that you didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, that's so true. I like I get so fired up about certain things that I'm like. God, I never like I never thought before I had kids that I would ever respond this way. And here I am mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm just so, you know, fired up inside. So what do you do about that? What did what did you learn through that experience? Yeah, I mean, that for me was like the rage I felt at like a four month old baby for not taking a nap. And I was like, <laughs> what is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. no. And then I realized, that, oh, this is why they have you watch the video about not shaking your I baby. Mean, yeah. Like that's I mean, it, it, oh, I, I, I was there one night. I mean, real, <laughs> right? real talk, real raw talk yep. right now. I'm like, oh my God, I actually understand why someone would want to like throw their baby against a wall because yep. they're so, and you're so sleep deprived. So you're not even making sound decisions on top right. of it because you're so sleep deprived and tired and you're, yeah. And oh yeah, I know the, <laughs> the emotion is real. And of course we never want to harm, our, you know, like we're not oh. going to harm our children. Um, and it was a, it was a rude awakening. I was, I was, it was overnight and I, I had that, that moment and I'm like, okay, this is about me and not my baby. So yeah. take a deep breath and yes. just, sit down. (laughs) Right. Um, What I wish somebody would have told me then is like, this is just information. Your body is asking for help and you need to ask yourself, what do I need right now? Because we're so obsessed about asking like, what does the kids need? What does work need? What do I need to do, you know, for all these other people? But very rarely do we ask, what do I need? Or even be in tune enough to our own needs to be able to meet them and understand just how critically it is that we, when we take an extra step to take care of ourselves, when we prioritize our mental health, not only should we not have guilt for that, for taking a break or fe- being able to do what we need to do, but it absolutely overflows benefits to our kids because if you don't have the sanity in place, to be, you can't even remember what you've been taught to do in the moment of what, how to handle this meltdown or whatever you're supposed to be doing in that moment. It's not even accessible to your brain because you're just like panicked into fight or flight response. Right. And at that point, you feel so threatened yourself that you have to self-regulate before you can ever help your kids with whatever they need from you. So mm-hmm. the more that you're able to take care of your basic needs and sleep and eat and all the things, but then also be able to work through some of those triggers of why does this behavior bother me so much? What it, What's the story I'm telling myself behind this particular kiddo or this situation and realize how unhelpful probably that lens is because of the frame of how you're seeing it is probably how your parents treated you in a similar situation or you've just been so 
you know, thought, your thought process has been so formed from society that you're seeing it in a very fear-based lens, or there's a lot of overgeneralization happening. And so you do need to be able to rewrite that story and have a better anchor or like mantra or something that you're going to tell yourself in that moment to reduce the threat level because it's not your kid going to jail. It's nope. This is just someone having a hard time. This is not about me and I can take a break. I can walk away and then I can come back in 10 minutes and that that's, that's an option. Um, And then just being able to take a deep breath or find some type of grounding so that your neurological system and your body feels like you actually are safe. And yeah. if you can have any wherewithal in that moment to do one of those two things, then you're usually able to ride the wave. But it does take work because you didn't even realize what's all at play in these moments until you're in them and realizing I am not equipped. I am not showing up in the way I thought I would be. I am not doing what my kid needs me to be doing in this moment. And so I have some work to do. Yeah. And I, and my husband and I, we, we kind of joke, but really very seriously, marriage as well as parenting is like the best form of personal development. hundred percent. You know, it's just the best, <laughs> form, right? Because you learn so much about yourself and I don't think every, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like most people don't want to do that internal work. And you don't have to rec- until you have to. Yeah. Have you to, don't want to until right. you have to. Yeah. Right. And, and the reality is though, if you can actually do some of that work, like you will show up as a, as a better parent, as a better spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, and, and it's, there's nothing wrong with doing it, you know, like it's, right. there's no shame in doing it. It's about actually saying, Hey, I'm, a, I'm actually going to work on this so that I can show up better as a wife or a husband or parent or, and, and quite frankly, it'll benefit like all relationships, work, friends, oh, yeah. like, right? So, you know, we will show up better in, in all our relationships in life. So um, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a good reminder, like you're saying, and taking that step back so you can get out of that fight, flight or freeze mode yeah. and come in calmer to, to respond. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. And, and breathing really is one of like the things that I do. Like That's when so I underrated. see my- <laughs> right. I'm like, and most of us are breathing wrong, right? Like we breathe, yeah. we, we breathe vertical, right? You breathe in and like your, your shoulders go up and your stomach goes in when you really want to breathe so that your, your belly kind of, you know, your diaphragm, your belly fills up with air and get a real proper good breath because that will slow you down. And if you can do a few of those before you start flipping out on your kid, mm-hmm. um, you'll start to make better decisions and start making that, that a practice. Um, so how do you get your spouse on board mm. with the things that you're learning? How, if you're, you're coming from two different upbringings yep. and you know, this is something Tanner and I, you know, work with couples on because you're coming from two different operating systems, two different ways of growing up. And now yep. you come into one household and I mean, I can't tell you how many different times, like I just, I did something. Cause I'm like, that's just how I thought it was. And Tanner's like, well, we do it this way. And I'm like, why would you do it that way? And, and <laughs> right. And then you're just like, oh my God, this is a ridiculous discussion that we're having. Let's find something that works for our family and yeah. come up with that. You know, and I like how you have the, the family business plan, right? You come up with what works for you and your family. It doesn't have to, um, it can be a, a middle ground of, of both upbringing. So how do you get your spouse on board with what, you know, you're learning to help benefit your children. Yeah. Typically what ends up happening is there's an information imbalance 
because one parenting partner is listening to the podcast, maybe reading a couple books, talking to a lot more friends about what's going on in their homes, and they're coming up with a lot more um, perspective that they want to bring into their parenting. And then the other parenting partner is just not as exposed to that information. So what happens inadvertently is one of those parents then is pulling the other along or nagging them or trying to you know, change the way that they're doing things because they don't like how they're changing things, but they're not allowing that other parenting partner to like in on the information in a a well enough comprehensive way that they are getting their questions answered or feeling like they have any type of informed, educated, you know, engagement in this process. So the, the, I know that every client that I've pretty much brought on has been hesitant or worried about their parenting partner wanting to do it too. Cause they're like, Oh, I would love to do this, but I don't know if my partner would, you know, be up for it. And then I, I just tell them like, just ask, just say, Hey, I found this. I think it'd be really helpful. Here's some of the information. Why don't we talk it through together or we can have this call and find out more information. And almost every time they're surprised and they're like, Oh yeah, they were actually really interested and, you know, end up, they end up signing on at a high commitment level, you know, it's an investment and it's because that other parenting partner wants to feel like a good dad. They also right. want to feel like the, they're setting their kids up for success or doing this right. And it matters to them. And they just, they just don't have the exposure. They don't have, know that these even opportunities exist. Yeah. And so being able to bring them along so that they can hash out these conversations together with you and hear the same things when you're hearing it for the first time in real time and then both trying it out together and having a lot of shared language and experience in that allows you to both feel like you're learning as you go rather than one person being the know-it-all and the other person doing it all wrong. Right. Which then will create a whole other scenario. It's a whole other, yeah, you're already got a wedge of divide between you with this strong-willed kids behavior because you both don't know how to deal with it and you're just like at each other's throats about it. But then the, the first thing that I do that really helps them get on the same page is think about together, what do you want 20 years from now to look like? Like what's your end goals? Who do you want your kids to be? What do you want to be true of their life? What skills do you want them to have? And and then like write all those things down together. And usually, even if they right now are very much not on the same page, they're not too far off the same page of what that looks like 20 years from down the road. And so then we just have to basically backtrack a trajectory to get there. And when I put it in light of like, if this is what you want, this is probably a way to bring that in more, or this is going to be more of an effective way to instill this value, or it's all in light of what they ultimately want as a family, then they're both going to be on board with whatever that next step looks like. Yeah. I mean, that communication level is is key, right? And unfortunately, sometimes the parents are are not communicating uh, regarding those things or, and, or, and this is really where Tanner and I come in of, you know, marriage first, right? If you and your spouse are taking care of each other and your marriage, uh, your, your kids will follow suit, you know, like your the kids are going to be taken care of if you and your spouse are being taken care of. Right. So making that, and, and, and because of that, putting that time and effort in, um, you'll, you'll have better communication. Um, yeah, you don't want to be 25, 30 years into marriage when the kids are out of the house and grown and you're like, 
well, now who am I married to? Right. <laughs> so right. Be, yeah. yeah. You want to be, you know, end up there. Um, w- one other question, just kind of, you know, back to the whole circle of family as we kind of wrap up. Um, how do you avoid just getting sucked into the power struggle? You know, because what I've learned is like arguing with your child, like you will never win. You'll never win. So, um, and we all, we all have a moment where we get sucked into the argument. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. You know, and we all have the last word. Um, but you're really not going to win with, with your kid. So, um, they're going to find a way to, to, to just be the winner in that game. How do you avoid that? Yeah, I think it really is, uh, it's an ego trip between two Mm -hmm. people we do the same thing in our marriages. Like we don't always, put our feet in the other person's shoes and give them the benefit of the doubt and really try to understand where they're coming from. Instead, we're just so focused on our own agenda and wanting to be understood and heard on our side of things that we get blinded to what the other even person is even trying to say. <laughs> so if right. we can't do that with the person we love the most and have been with for 15 years and that has a higher maturity level, then how can we possibly do that with a three-year-old that has no prefrontal cortex, no executive functioning to speak of, very little understanding of their own emotions, have no filter, and uh, definitely don't see eye to eye with where you're coming from. So right. expecting right. that from them is just never, yeah, again, you're never going to get that need met. You're never going to feel like you're quote unquote winning. So you need to be able to reframe, like, what am I even doing in this one? What's the point? And how do I know that I'm on track to like parent being a good parent, quote unquote. Right. And so a lot of times we try to look to the kids and their, their behavior is our report card. And if they do something good, we're like, yay, we're doing it right. And if they, you know, bite and we're like, oh no, we're, we're a terrible parent. And it's like, no, it's not actually about you at all. It's just them being a human and having ups and downs and bad days. And if we can detach from that, then we can see a lot more of just how do I help this person how to, like through this moment? What do they need from me right now? How can I help? Because I'm, I'm the grown up. I'm the one in this moment that's supposed to be coming alongside them. I have their back. I'm their biggest fan. I'm acting out of their best intentions. So therefore, they're going to have less socially appropriate behavior in this moment, but I'm responsible to them to take care of them, to, you know, give them shelter, food, all the things, but also feel like I'm leading by example, you know, giving them uh, a lot of instilling some values. And ultimately, that's, that's the role. So how can I do that in this moment without getting too roped into becoming a person that I don't want to be right now. And sometimes that is just the less words as possible. You know, just like, I can't let you do that. I need you to, whatever it is, I'm taking a five minute break. That's it. (laughs) That's all I can do right now. And then when I have more composure, I can come back and I can say more. But if if we're trying to be right, if we're trying to get our point across, if we're trying to teach a lesson, they're not teachable in that yeah. moment. They're much and more I, teachable t- two hours later. <laughs> right. I was going to say, you've got to have the emotions come down in order for you to actually teach out of the lesson. You can't. Right. Yeah. And I've, and I've learned that the hard way too. And, and actually what I, I, I want to just give like some grace to all the parents listening, you know, as they're, as they're hearing all of this, like, Oh my God, I'm not doing this. I should be doing that. Da, da, da. Like, I mean, there's a gazillion things that we could, we could um, critique ourselves on. Oh yeah. And, and, and what I would say is just 
you know, find that one or two things that you're like, this is really where I'm struggling and like work on that. You know, one thing mm-hmm. at a time, just kind one of build off time. of, you know, build off of that. And it, it will start to become more habit and, and practice. And you'll start to see, you'll also, you know, the more you do it, the more you're going to see the result out of it, you know, the benefit out of it, you know, like you can't just do it once and be like, well, that didn't work. Right. Right. We we don't (laughs) go to the gym once. Right. It's a muscle to strengthen. Yeah, it is. Really takes that repetition. And, um, and I've started to see that where I've like, I can acknowledge my three-year-old's emotions or how she's behaving to meet her where she is she slows, she starts to slow down. If I can take a big breath and just kind of like regroup, like, why am I getting so worked up? Like I can start to respond to her better. Mm -hmm. If I, uh, you know, say, just end the conversation with my stepdaughter and be like, I'm not going to argue with you. Like I can come back later and have a better conversation. Like, it's just all these things that just, it just takes time and practice. And so give yourself grace through all of, you know, all these things that, um, it will start to become, habit and you will start to see rewards from it. Um, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen overnight. Like most things in life, (laughs) we want that instant gratification, but this is something that's that's going to provide that. Don't expect yourself to have this all figured out on day one. Right. None of us got the orientation. (laughs) (laughs) You have to figure it out as you go. And it does not come naturally just because you are the parent they need and you have, you know, you're the expert on them. It does not mean that you know how to handle everybody's big emotions and draw healthy boundaries and do all these things that you were never taught yourself. Right. And the one thing that I've also found is after the situation, I've, you know, think as as some kind of escalated situation, I've actually noticed that once I'm removed, I'm like, well, I could have said this, or I could have said it differently here. And I've actually made notes of what I could do differently the next time I'm presented with a situation like this. And so just by doing that has allowed me the next time there's some kind of situation, it it helps me to remember like, oh, I, I could say it this way instead of that way. Like that way didn't work. So maybe I'll say it this way instead. And just, you know, all, you know, like, yeah, be, you know, learning, learning the moments. Don't beat yourself up. If you're like, could have done that a little differently and handled that better. Um, just know that for, for the next time and, and you keep growing, you keep growing with your kids. I, I like what you say that you are the parent that your, you, your kids need God, God gave you or gave your children to you like for a reason, you're all here for a reason, um, mm-hmm. at this time. Um, and I actually, I read something just recently, just with everything that's going on in the world. Um, and you know, as parents we're 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 concerned for our kids and, you know, what kind of world are they growing up in and all the, all the stuff that's just happening and, and just all that we're dealing with. And even us as parents that were here in this moment. And, um, I, re- I read something that's like, God put us here though, for right now, for a reason that we can handle it. Our kids are going to be able to grow up in this time because they're, they're going to have a purpose for how our world continues to evolve. Like it's, it's not, there's not by accident, like we're going to be able to get through it and, and handle it and, and be strong parents. Um, just got to keep learning. Like you said, be teachable. Yep. Um, yeah. so Danielle, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show. Um, such great information and you can find more from Danielle, uh, of course, with her podcast failing motherhood. I love that. Um, and then parenting wholeheartedly.com. Uh, we have a bunch of other links too that we can share and we'll put in the show notes so people can refer back to you and, um, just appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Family OS Podcast. We have a special gift that we'd love to give you. Text us the word POD, P-O-D, to 720-459-4219, and we'll text you back. Until next time.